Cool. Thanks, Tandeka. That was actually one of several stories um, that I've heard um, just coming out of level four. Um, there was some, we were on a little group and Tandeka shared a story and Sunday Seaway shared a story. And then it started a ball rolling where a whole bunch of people just started sharing these incredible stories of how God was able to use them in other people's lives during lockdown. And I, I really wanted them to share some of those stories because I think sometimes it feels a bit like life got put on pause, you know, in level four, it's like, and then when we back to level three, there's like, okay, play. Okay, life goes on, you know, but actually God is always working. And if we are sensitive to what he's saying, and sensitive to what he's doing, we can continue to participate in that and whatever the levels are. Um, so yeah, let me, let me just pray and then we can uh, yeah, get into the word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this privilege to be able to meet together, to worship together, to listen to your word together. I pray, would you anoint your word to shape our hearts and realign our lives with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just while we were worshiping, I was reminded of a word which Andrew Selly shared during one of the Josh Jean life, it's called. It's no longer live, it's life now, which is true. There was a lot of life on that particular word. When he was talking about having a quiet time and spending time with Jesus on your own. And it really feels like uh, in this last season, the Lord has almost forced us to dig our roots deep. Um, I'm mixing my metaphors there because you don't really dig roots deep, do you? They grow down. You don't have to dig anything because I was mixing digging wells and growing roots. They're both analogies which the, the word uses. Um, but God has been wanting us to find grace, even when we're on our own, even when we are isolated, um, through spending time with him in prayer, through reading the, the scriptures on my own, and through yeah, worshiping God even on my own. And the one word that Andrew shared was that as we come together, it's like these little streams of life, which have been flowing all along, start running together, and they become a mighty rushing river. And so that is what we trust in God for, that as we come together, these streams which have never stopped, because as saints, we are connected to the vine. They are now coming together, and there's a power to that flow, um, which, is, which is the corporate anointing. But I think sometimes in the past, we have relied too heavily on the corporate anointing at the expense of my little stream, which needs to always be flowing. And so before lockdown, we were talking about that we were doing that series on um, being rooted and built up in Christ. And how, how can we be rooted in Christ and built up? in Christ. And to a certain extent, that's what the Lord's been doing in us, even during lockdown. And I think of Andrew's word on how to have a quiet time was something we were planning on doing, even in that series. And so Andrew Selly kindly continued our series for us. But uh, did you guys feel the life on that word that he was sharing, just in terms of, I spoke to a number of people, and they were like excited for the next morning after that, like, I'm excited for tomorrow morning when I'm going to spend my time with Jesus and just renewed faith for God wants to meet with me, even when I'm on my own, you know, this morning, what I would like to do is I'd like to pick up on um, 
some of the messages which Peter shared in his book. He obviously wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And I shared a word with you guys as a congregation, even during lockdown, and we're going through the first chapter of 1 Peter. And I wanted to pick up on that and expand on that from the book of 2 Peter. And I think one of the reasons why the book of Peter is meaning so much to me right now is Peter was a pastor who really cared about his people who were going through rough times, rough seas, rough oceans. And he was trying to shepherd them through incredibly painful, difficult times. And so I share that affinity with Peter right now. I must say, uh, whenever there was a lockdown previously, I'll share how this lockdown was different. I had the sense of anxiety in me, like, God, what's going to happen to the people? Like, we're isolated. We're not able to meet. They're not able to commune with God like we normally do. And I felt like they're not going to be okay. They're going to fall apart, and it's all going to be my fault. What can I do? And having to come in the opposite spirit and trust God. But I really felt like with this previous lockdown, God speaking to my spirit and saying, I've got, I've got them. I've got my people. They are my people, first of all. And secondly, your people, and you are a delegated, but I've got this. And I felt that peace in my heart. And, and, but I wanted to just continue with this theme of what God's been speaking to us through the book of Peter. And I mentioned when I was sharing, and I'll mention it again, when Peter starts his book, he starts by speaking about um, us and, well, them, but, but also us as being God's holy people. Exiles and foreigners, strangers, pilgrims through this life. And I wanted to just pick up on that and, and on that and, and remind us anew of who we are in Christ. God thinks of us as being his holy people. What, now we associate that word oftentimes with being morally righteous. And holiness does have that connotation. But before it has that connotation, Holiness has the meaning of being set apart. So if in your kitchen you have a special knife, and I'm using an analogy which, which will, will probably, ident the, cook, the cookers amongst us will probably identify with this a little bit more. If you have a special knife that you only use for certain things, um, or if you sew and you have a pair of scissors that you only use for cutting material, it's set apart for that. It's got a special purpose. That is the kind of meaning that holiness has for us, that God has called us out of the world. He set us apart for his holy purposes to be used for special things. And what is that special thing? It's to be ministers to God, to be priests. We called a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So just like the nation of Israel was called out of Egypt, special to God and called um, set apart and uniquely belonging to God, my people. God speaks about Israel as my people. They belong to me. We are now God's holy people. Corporately, when God thinks of us, he says, these are the holy ones, the set-apart ones, my people. They belong to me. Why did we belong to him? Because Jesus bought us with his blood. And that is who you are. That is who I am. Before I am anything else, I am set apart. I am holy. I belong in a special way to God. He bought me with his blood. That is what it means to be holy. 
And I really feel this deep resonance in my heart that what God would want to remind you and me today is that although we're in this world, we are separate from the world because we belong. We have God's name tattooed on us. You know, like some people tattoo their girlfriend's name on their ankle or whatever. And then hopefully they stay with that person for the rest of life. Otherwise, if you get married and you have another woman's name on your ankle, it gets awkward. But you and I have a tattoo on our hearts which says, I belong to Christ. I belong to him for life. The other thing I feel like God wants us to remind us of, and, and Peter did this, and I want to do this with you, and I'm going to read a, a, quite a, a meaty portion of Scripture from Second Peter. And if I could, this passage would be the sermon for this morning. I would just literally read it and say, and you receive that, and that is what God wants to say to you this morning, because I really do believe that this is literally what God wants to say to City Bowl congregation. So I want to ask you to open up your heart. Peter is wanting to encourage these saints who are going through incredibly painful, tumultuous times, and this is his encouragement to them, and this is God's encouragement to you and to me. So the name of the sermon is the future of the planet. A lot of us have anxiety about what the future holds in South Africa, in the world, on planet Earth. And this is answering and speaking to that question of what is the future of this planet? So let's read, and we're going to go slowly and we're going to unpack it a bit. He says, first of all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. I'm just going to pause there and say, he is saying, God created the world with a word. He spoke this planet into existence. Before God said anything, this planet Earth, our blue and green planet, did not exist. And with a word, he spoke it into existence. And when he judged the world, which he did, he sent a flood and he destroyed the whole planet. He washed it. He started new and he destroyed all the ungodly living in the earth, except for uh, Jonah, Noah. Who said Noah? Yeah, it was Noah. This is Namile's favorite story in the entire Bible, the story of Noah and the three worms. But I'll save the three worms story. That's the added extra bonus features to the story that you've not heard before. There were three worms because the one ended on Noah's hook for fishing. And so that was the only animal that was allowed three of onto the boat. For some reason, that is Namila's favorite part of the story. But I digress. The earth was destroyed by a flood. Let's read on. Verse 7. This is the very sobering bit here. This relates directly to us. By the same word, 
the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. When it says heavens and earth, that means sky and earth. Heavens is another word for sky. We don't really use that word for sky that much, but that's Bible language and Old English. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, listen to this, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So he's saying in the light of how things are going to end, in the light of what the future of this planet holds, what kind of people ought you to be? Here he picks up on that word again. You ought to live holy, set apart, special, and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, this is what we look forward to. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is the future of our planet. Now, I'm aware of the fact that this may be news to you. You might not actually have heard this before. You may be hearing this. Maybe you've heard it sort of mentioned before, but this is maybe laying it out for you quite clearly in a way that's quite alarming. And it is an alarming passage. Essentially, what this passage is saying is that previously the world was judged and it was destroyed by water. The second time, it won't be destroyed by water. It will be destroyed by fire. The earth is going to be judged eventually. So let me maybe just unpack that a little bit. One of the misconceptions about Christ has to do with his mission. So I want to just explain the mission of Christ, because what we've just read now is talking about the second coming of Christ. What's going to happen when Christ returns? So we promised two comings of Christ. One, he already came, and he's coming back again. When Jesus left his disciples, he said, I'm going to come back in the same way that you've seen me leave. So let's read. I refer, regard this as Jesus' mission statement. Like, you know, some businesses have a mission statement. It's also our mission statement. We continue the same mission of Christ. So if you can put up Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, and he's quoting a prophecy, and we're going to read the prophecy in a minute because he leaves off a bit, and I'll explain why. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
When Jesus came, and as we go, we preach good news. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when the, we already know that one year is a long time for God, eh? That year has been a really long year. It's been since Christ's first return, and it will continue to be the year of the Lord's favor until Christ returns again. And so we are living in the time of God's favor. What does that mean? It means that there is a window of opportunity for redemption. Jesus said when he came, I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. He is at present. His mission through us, who continue the mission of Christ, is to save the world. He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the wicked. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And our mission today is to the unrighteous and the sick because we have a mission to save those who are lost and oppressed. But what's interesting about this quotation is he's quoting from Isaiah verse 61. If you can pop that up, I'm going to just skim read over the bits which he repeats, and then I'll get to the part which he leaves off. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 2. This is the part he quotes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom of the captives. We read that verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and, oh, and the day of vengeance of our God. What? He didn't mention that bit. To comfort all who mourn. So the question is, why did he only quote half of the promise? And the answer is because it has a two-part fulfillment. Many of the messianic promises of Christ, he fulfilled half of them because he's going to fulfill the other half when he returns. So, for example, there are promises, messianic prophecies, that when the Messiah comes, he will destroy our, the, the evil in the world. He will rid the world of evil. He will make all things new. He will restore all things he will judge those who are wicked. He will overthrow Israel's um, enemies, and the lion will lie with the lamb. Uh, so many of these messianic prophecies, he fulfilled half of them because he is going to fulfill the other half when he returns. And so the first half, well, well the, the first coming was to save. The second coming of Christ is to judge. And so when Christ comes again, the year of the Lord's favor is done. There's no longer opportunity to be saved. When Christ returns the second time, it's too late to turn and be reconciled with God. Which makes this period of time an incredibly, incredibly important period because it's the window of opportunity which people have to be reconciled with God. And it directly impacts upon your mission in life and my mission in life which is to make the most of the year of the Lord's favor, both to appropriate these promises for myself, but also for the world around us. This is what the Bible says about Jesus' second coming, Revelation 6, verse 16 and 17. This is what it says when Jesus comes back the second time. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? 
And so it's going to be a day of very mixed emotions when Christ comes again. And so even for myself, I have very mixed emotions about the return of Christ. Because on one hand, for us, it's the end of suffering. It's the end of pain. It's the end of this wrestle with sin. It's the end of wickedness and evil. It's the end. It's when Christ will make all things new. And it's, I see him face to face then, whereas now I only perceive him with the eye of faith. But on the other half of me, I'm, I'm saying, God, wait, wait. There are people that don't know you. I have friends that don't know you. I have family that don't know you. Wait, God, be patient. And he asked, that's why he said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why do I share this with you? Because it answers many of the burning questions which we have in our hearts. Questions like, God, why don't you do something about the way the world is? If I think about the last couple of weeks, you know, like we've had a hectic year, you know, 2020. Which year are we in now? 2021, eh? It's BC days, eh? Before Corona and, and, and after Corona. Everything after Corona seems like one really long year. It was a traumatic year last year. And then we had the last couple of weeks, which feel like, I don't know, it's just like the world's going absolutely, it was crazy. Now it's like, it's, it's more crazy, you know? And the question in your heart and my heart is, Jesus, can't you just put a stop to this, you know? Like, let's just, this is a bad movie. Let's just push stop. And, you know, I think of what is happening in our country. I mean, we, we, our reference is South Africa, right? Like, in the middle of a COVID pandemic, you've got now people turning on each other, <clears throat> on each other, killing each other, looting and rioting and burning. And, like, it feels like the country is tearing itself apart. And it was so grieving. And that's just KZN. And then in Cape Town, you've got taxi wars and people shooting each other at the, at the taxi. And you, your heart gets so burdened. My heart gets so burdened by these things. And you think, God, how, my, how long, Lord? How long until you return and make things right? And, and the second question that comes along with that is, God, why do we suffer along with the rest of the world? Can't you take us at least up to heaven because we Christians, like we believe in you. We, we're not even a part of the world anymore. Can't you take us, let us at least escape from the madness and be with you? And, go, and, and the answer to all of these questions is that this is a window of opportunity that the world has to be reconciled with God. There is a day when Christ will judge the wicked. He will judge it in a spectacular fashion, and it is going to be a terrifying day. But in his mercy, in his patience, in his kindness, he has left you and me here to suffer with the rest of them so that we can spread the news of the message of the gospel. Do you realize what a sacred task that is? And when I think of it that way, I think, actually, you know what, I would love to be with Christ, but... Don't take, me, don't take me now, Lord, for the sake of my brothers. I, I want while this window of opportunity is here, I want you to use me to reach as many people as we can. I know my future is secure with Christ. I'm going to have a wonderful eternity. But in this one little window of opportunity that we have, I want to be here. I want to suffer with the wicked. 
if it gives me an opportunity to share with them the good news of the gospel. I really have been incredibly burdened um, in the last couple of weeks about who we are as God's people um, and what God has called us to and the sacredness of the calling and the sacredness of the gospel. The reason why I say this is because there are many dangers in the world right now. And if you're on social media or you're watching the news, there's constantly these warnings about this danger, warnings of that danger. And, you know, and I'll mention a couple of them just because it helps to, to, to earth it in reality. Big tech, right? It's a danger. Like they're censoring social media. They're censoring YouTube channels. They're censoring Twitter. Big tech is even sometimes invading our privacy and invade... You know, that's a danger. People are warning us of these dangers, right? It is dangerous. I get it. Big, big pharma, you know, these powerful pharmaceutical companies are paying off the government to get their vaccines approved and all of this and the next thing. And some of those things are true. It's a real danger. It does happen. Big government. Government's getting bigger and bigger. More and more authority, more and more power. They're encroaching on our civil liberties. Our freedoms are getting less and less. Be aware. Wake up. Wake up, sheeple. You know, this is happening all around us. It's, it, there's some of these, it's, there is reality in some of these dangers. Big business is destroying the environment. All they care about is profits. Wake up, people. Our planet is being destroyed. Now, the thing is, all of these dangers, there is some truth to them, and they are alarming. But here's the real danger, that we as Christians will forget that there is a much bigger danger looming ahead. What do I mean by that? I mean that the mortality rate amongst humans is 100%. Nobody gets out of this alive. You might live long or you might live short, but nobody gets out of this alive. And on that day, when you and I stand before Christ, not if, when, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is are you in Christ? Or aren't you? And so as Christians, what's burning on our hearts? What is that one thing we want every single human being on the planet to know? If you had a platform, if you had a microphone like this, which broadcast to every single person on the planet, and you could complete this, this sentence with everyone, you need to know this. How would you complete that sentence? And I hope and I trust, and this is why I'm speaking on this because, and why I'm speaking from the book of 1 Peter, that we would finish the sentence like this. God has appointed a day when he will return. Every single person will stand before a righteous and holy God and give an account for my life. My actions, my thoughts, my words, and if I am not in Christ, I will be judged, and I will be separated from God for all eternity. There is a message that is peculiar, that is unique to us as God's people. We have a message, and we are the only ones that know the message and are able to share the message and demonstrate the message with our lives. And so while there are many waves and dangers in the world, 
may we never forget this message of the gospel. Amen? I have the sense of the urgency of the gospel. Now, I want to just press this point a little bit. I know I've belabored the point, but humor me a little bit. This is burning in me to just explain hell. Hell, the Bible says, is what follows judgment. Hell, the Bible says, is eternal conscious torment. That's what it is. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Verse chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, two verses. Verse 41, this is what Jesus says to those on his right who are not his people. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46, he goes on to explain, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There is nothing more serious in terms of what the world needs to know, the dangers that lie ahead than this. There are many dangers in life. This, this trumps them all. In fact, this makes all the other dangers seem really small. Don't you agree? This is the preciousness of the gospel because the gospel explains that this is what lies ahead. But we are living in the year of the Lord's favor and there is an opportunity for every person who will to be reconciled with Christ. This is what makes the gospel so, so precious. If you can't remember the gospel, remember this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. And so when we think about these things, there should be this sense of, I'm, I'm so grateful for my own life that Christ has saved me and is saving me. And that when I stand before God, I will be found in Christ and I will forego punishment and judgment and go on to be with Christ. So that's the first response. The second one is in the words of Peter, he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now he's talking to Christians. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed its coming. The response for Christians when we think and we talk of these things is to make sure that I am in Christ, that I remain in Christ, and that I remain separated from the world, that the world doesn't creep into me and that I don't go back into the world, that I remain separate, separate from the world, holy and blameless in Christ by faith. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. So we, there's an active, ongoing leaning into Christ by faith. I wanted to just encourage you in this. I know that we've been through a long period now of isolation, and that does take a toll on us spiritually. But there's an opportunity this morning. If you in your heart have felt like actually my heart has slipped away from the truth of who I am in Christ, that I actually am a part of God's holy people. We have, I have been separated from the world. Christ has bought and paid for me. He wants my heart. He doesn't want to share it with the world. He wants it for himself. Like a marriage, it's exclusive. Exclusively, he has 
my heart. There is an opportunity even this morning, like we were saying in worship, there's grace even today to give him our hearts again and make sure that we are apart, that we are separate. But there's a soberness to that, you know, there's a soberness to that, that in the light of these things, we adjust our hearts and our lives today accordingly. But more than this, once we've, we've made sure that we ourselves are secure in Christ, the urgency of our ministry to the world. Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That someone is you. That someone is me. That is God's plan. That's his purpose in the earth. That through us, the world would hear the good news of the gospel. So here's the thing. There's so many dangers, so many things that people are anxious about. Here's the thing. I don't know if COVID will kill me. I don't know if the vaccine for COVID will kill me. I don't know if the bus will kill me as I cross the road or a shark will eat me when I go for a surf. I don't know what will kill me or when it will kill me. But here's what I do know. When I stand before Christ, I will give an account for my life. Am I in Christ or not in Christ? Have I run my race faithfully? Till the end. I'm saying these things to help put the world in perspective. Does that make sense? These are important questions, but there are more important questions, questions which we know the answers to. And I'm focusing on the questions which we know the answers to. There's a, a beautiful verse in Hebrews, Steve, if you could find it, which speaks about the hope that we have, which is an anchor for our soul. One of the pictures I got as I was preparing this was that we as God's people were like these little boats. And we were on this stormy ocean and the storm and the big waves were tossing the boats and the boat was kind of losing its direction in terms of where's my destination. And as I've spoken to people during lockdown, I've gotten that feeling of like, where, where is the destination? I just feel tossed. In that vein, this is what the Bible says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. We have an anchor, and the anchor is our hope. That is our anchor. That's what keeps that boat secure. It's almost as if the Bible would say, yes, you're going across an ocean, which is very stormy, but Christ has been across it before you, and he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life, and he is standing on the other side of the finish line, and he's like a beacon saying, this is the way home, and it's what secures us. We have a living hope that is in Christ. Does that make sense? I feel the Lord wants to speak that peace into our hearts. And so I'm going to finish by saying this. Peter says, we are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth. What does that mean? I'll just mention a few verses, which the Bible says, and I'll summarize them. I'll paraphrase it in terms of what does heaven represent to you and to me? This is how the Bible speaks about heaven. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's been preparing that place 
for the last 2020 years. It must be quite a place, eh? It must be quite a place. It says that our home is the eternal city. It's God's city. God's city has been prepared, says, for those who love him. For all those who love him, he has prepared a city. Bible says heaven is the wedding feast. The wedding feast of the Lamb for those who have kept themselves unstained by the world. We have kept ourselves pure for our bridegroom, who is Christ. Heaven is the prize at the end of the race for those who have endured faithfully until the end. He's the prize. He's the thing we are running for. He's the one waiting at the end. Heaven is God with us. I love that phrase, God with us, for those who have longed for his coming. Heaven is our home. Heaven is the place where we belong. Bible says we are strangers and exiles. We are travelers. We are pilgrims traveling through this life. And we are, we are, we are pitching tents here like Abraham, not building homes, because heaven is our home. And we are, we are wanting to bring as many people along with us on this journey to our home as we possibly can. And this is the language the Bible speaks. And I want to speak this into you, that this would be so a part of who you are that how you think about yourself, about how you think about your life and this life and the hope that we have. These are the words of scripture to you this morning, the word of God to you. That's what anchors our soul in Christ. Amen.